0: Welcome to Hunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to our new Patreons. Bethany, Franny, Jamie, no last name? No last name. Vega girl, 41 We Your thank you cards and stickers will be coming soon. Um, the coronavirus has made things a little difficult on us in getting our stickers and our cards. And us moving, we literally can't find them. We have one. So we had to order all new stuff, and it's just taking a lot longer to get here. So we will get them on June 1st, and we will get them in the mail to you the next day. Don't forget about our Patreon giveaway. So anyone that joins Patreon at any level gets entered to win our big package of stuff. It's a baseball tee, a coaster, a sticker, a baseball hat, and a mask. Yeah. All of it. Yep. Everything's black and white. So the story this week, I get to um, talk to, or you get to hear me talk to Beth. And I've spent a lot of time with, I mean, a lot of time talking to Beth and her brother, and we got to meet in person. I think I said that on the last episode. And the one thing, it's, it's so frustrating because the one thing that is driving me insane is when Debbie went missing, she was a child. She was 12. I mean, granted, she didn't look like a 12 year old, but she was 12. She was a kid. And there were no search parties that they know of. Like, especially when I talk to Kim, we're going to have a little um, bit. I'm going to play a little bit of my interview with Kim, who was a family friend of the Pajolka's. They actually lived, they were neighbors, and then one of the families moved, and then the other family followed them. So they were neighbors for many, many years. And she was, I think she said she was 11. She was a year younger than Debbie at the time. And she, she first of all, didn't know the level of abuse. I mean, she knows it now, but she didn't know when she was a kid. But she was 11, and she doesn't remember it being a big deal that Debbie disappeared. She doesn't remember search parties. Like no one. How now? You hear? You tell all your neighbors and all your friends, and everyone's looking immediately. I mean, like we've even done that for one of your friends' little brothers went missing. Yeah, and we all rushed. Our whole family rushed over there and and walked the streets and yeah. knocked on doors. Yeah, and I just it seems so odd to me. I mean, the nineteen seventy the seventies were a different time, I guess. But a child went missing at probably ten o'clock. She, the last they saw her was eight fifteen. The movie was over at 10, so the kids probably got home around 10 o'clock, 10.30, which seems really young to be doing that, but it was the 70s, and none of them remember it being a big deal. None of them remember everybody, you know, jumping up and waking up and not, I mean, I know her dad and her cousin and her uncle, I think, went looking for her that night. They, They all say that. It's not from memory. That's from someone telling them that they did that. But other than that, there was not a big hoopla about it. And I even asked on a Facebook page for people who grew up in Kronitz, one of those little um, groups of people that have lived here like your, their whole life. And no one, I mean, they remember her. They remember that, oh, yeah, she disappeared. Or I was friends with the family. But there were even people that said that they were friends with the family and didn't even know about her or that or that she disappeared. And I asked one lady in particular because she remembered it that she was in her class and she went missing. And I said, do you remember being like afraid after that? Like your parents making you stay home or changing the locks on the windows or doors or whatever. And she's like, no. And that seems weird to me. That seems weird. Corona was such a tiny town back then that people didn't react to. I mean, she was a child and she yeah. went missing. And it's so hard because I, it's when I'm talking to, to, to Beth or to, the brothers, or even to Kim now, and then I might end up getting to talk to Kim's brother who was older. I don't want to make them feel bad. They were kids, too. They were children, too. But what about the adults? Why? I don't know. There's got to be someone out there that was an adult at that time. They would be, if they were 20 years at the time, they would be 70 or almost 70 now. Yeah. So there's got to be someone in the age, in, that was in 1971, that was age 15 to 20, that is still alive right now, that remembers what happens, knows what happened, And can tell Beth and her family something. There has to be. Yeah. We're going to go right into the interview right here with Debbie's sister, Beth.
1: Okay, Beth, I have to make sure that you understand that we're recording this for an episode on the podcast, yes? Yes. I don't really know where to start, only because you and I have spoken so many times and have had so many conversations. I'm trying to kind of find a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the one thing that I probably should start with is that you were only six when your sister disappeared, right? Yes. So, at what age did you find out the details of her going missing, or do you what do you remember from being six? Do you remember anything that that particular day?
2: Just that everyone was in a panic and that she didn't come home.
1: But it would have been later at night, right? You would have still been awake when they got home from the movies that night?
2: Possibly.
1: But you don't remember the details?
2: No. And as far as what had actually happened, I may have been told at that time, you know, during the days following, Um. I think one of my aunts had told, had talked about it, and that's how I found out. So you
1: didn't even, and how old were you when you finally found out?
2: I don't know. I was still young. Um,
1: Did you ever talk to your mom and dad about it, though?
2: No. Um. And I don't know why. I guess because I was so young. It just wasn't something that. I would have brought up, and even as a teenager, maybe in the back of my mind, I felt if she didn't want to talk about it, I wasn't going to bring it up.
1: Did other people ask you about her, though?
2: No, because (laughs) no no one knew.
1: You moved away from Corona.
2: Right. Well, we moved into El Cerrito, just outside Corona.
1: But you weren't by, like, neighbors or anything that would have known about it during... Like right when it happened.
2: Yeah, Kim's family. They they moved out there first, and we moved right across the street.
1: Oh, I. So you lived by Kim in Corona, and then you lived by her again in El Cerrito. Right. Oh, did you move there because of Kim's family?
2: Um, it was a new housing track, and um, maybe my parents just wanted to change a pace, but we were our families were really close. And the house across the street was just built. So you
1: followed the other family probably? Most likely. So, how old were you when you started looking on your own for her?
2: Um, not till I was in college.
1: That's when you started searching for her?
2: Right. Um, when I was doing the genealogy for a class.
1: Oh, really? Genealogy is what made you start looking for her?
2: Well, actually, when my mom passed away in 1990, the Corona Police Department cold case contacted me. They were just, like, there were new detectives and they wanted to talk to people again, and they talked to me, they talked to my brother, they talked to my aunt, Um, And as far as I know, those are the only three that talked to them.
1: And they talked to you because your mom was gone now?
2: Um, New detectives had had came on to Cold Case.
1: Do you know if the detectives contacted your mom, you know, like yearly or anything?
2: I have no idea. They told me that they try to do it about every five years. Um, that's what I had been told at the time, because it wasn't too many months later after she passed away, or even maybe the following year in 91, um, that they contacted me.
1: Huh. I'm so curious if they contacted your mom all the time.
2: Yeah, and I have no idea.
1: Why do you think you think that your family never talked about it?
2: I don't know. Um, Pain, for one. Um, Maybe deep down they knew maybe what happened. I don't know.
1: You don't know what their theories are. And
2: didn't want to open a can of worms.
1: So do you think your parents had a theory of what happened to her?
2: possibly or it just hurt too much or maybe my mom was not allowed to bring it up um because she had kept all of her christmas gifts and birthday gifts up until she passed away
1: now when you say that do you, she continued to buy birthday gifts and christmas gifts even after she was gone
2: she did for one or two more years as far as i know and she just had them Wrapped in in the garage, in the rafters.
1: So every year when she went shopping for you, she would go shopping for her daughter that was missing? Yes. So your mom 100% believe that she...
2: Might come back.
1: That she wasn't gone. But you think that she didn't live past that night, right? I'm sorry? You don't think... You personally don't think she's alive anymore. No. But your mom did.
2: Well, I mean, growing up, I always hoped. I prayed every night.
1: That she would still be alive.
2: That she she would come home. And I honestly prayed every night for years.
1: Why don't you think she's alive anymore?
2: I think because it's been so long. And um, I was really hoping that after I posted a message to her on that genealogy board that, you know, she might contact me somehow.
1: And then when she did it, you changed your mind about her being alive?
2: No, not at that time. I think just as time went by, and years went by, and cause this was back in probably, I don't know, maybe 99 or 2000 that I posted it. I'm not really sure.
1: I can probably look it up. You posted it on Ancestry.com, right? I believe so. What about doing your family tree is what made you start looking for her just because it was an avenue to search?
2: Um, it just popped up and I just had an idea that maybe she was searching. And since our last name is not common, you know, I'm sure there wouldn't have been too many messages on there.
1: I'm trying to find you on here and I can But there's a Pajolka family tree. They only have two two people on it. Who is it? Alton Pajolka.
2: That's like a great, great grandfather.
1: I'm interested why there's only... Or,
2: you know, an Alton Pajolka in Michigan?
1: I don't know, then there's a... A Schwinn Pajolka. That's
2: that's my nephew.
1: But, and a Charles Pajolka. But all of them, like, does anybody have your family tree actually on DNA? I mean, on Ancestry?
2: Um, I don't know if it's actually on Ancestry. I have a cousin, Jerry Lynn. Um, I think she's still in Oregon again. She travels a lot. <laughs> she may be in Oregon. Um I have her I have her number and stuff, but she was doing a family tree also. And because she's older than I am, like our family were the youngest, basically.
1: Right.
2: Cuz my dad was the youngest child. So all my cousins on my dad's side are a lot older. And Jerry Lynn was doing a family tree and I was supposed to give her Information that I had gained over the course of doing my project, plus someone on my dad's mother's side, like a real distant cousin, actually had a book printed up with our family tree in it for my grandmother's side.
1: What year was she born in again? Deborah? Yeah.
2: 58.
1: And she was born in San Diego, right? Yes. What's weird is that there's not an actual family tree for you guys on here. So if she were to search for you through this without doing DNA or anything, is your mom's maiden name Hampton? Hampton,
2: yes. First name Sharon.
1: Yeah, I'm not seeing any family trees. With... Hold on, maybe I just found one. There's one, a Karen DeWitt family tree with a ton of people in it. And so that would be the only one I can find that has her sister actually listed.
2: Um, on... The one that someone did on my grandmother's side, it would be under Reamer.
1: But Deborah would have come up as part of the family tree unless it's private. But this woman has, um, your entire family tree, It has you and Jeff and Mike and Tim all listed. Which you probably shouldn't have because you guys are all alive, so it's not really safe. But
2: well, Mike's, Mike's deceased.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, Jeff and Tim still are, so it's kind of weird that someone has your information out there. Just FYI, I mean, I'll help you get this off because it probably shouldn't be on there.
2: I think okay. it's like,
1: for Deborah and Michael, but not for you and Tim and Jeff. It shouldn't be, like, it shouldn't... You guys should be private on here. But um, it doesn't have...
2: No.
1: It, does, it only has... It doesn't even have any information other than sources, so I don't know how close this person is to you.
2: Yeah, I have no idea. Um, Because I believe even in that ancestry book, it has her in there.
1: Yeah, which is fine, but I mean, for having something online, yours, yours, and your brothers should be private while you're still alive. It just makes it. It's just another way for people to find you. It's not a good idea, but we'll work Mm -hmm. on that. I'll help you do that. Um, Thank you. Talking about your mom and dad. I I don't have anyone who's ever gone missing, so maybe it's not weird. But I feel like it's kind of unusual for parents not to talk about it anymore, to just completely – I mean, because I think it was Jeff that was saying that someone walked up to him in school one time and brought it up and said, hey, I heard your sister went missing, whatever happened with that. And he said that he regrets now just walking away. Right. And speak of it. But, I mean, what was going on that would make it a taboo conversation? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand that it's hurtful and it's, it's awful and it's, not, it's unexplained and unsolved. But what could have made it so taboo that someone even asking about it would make you walk away from that person? I mean, just remembers the conversation and remembers being blatantly rude and just getting up and walking away.
2: I I know during those years he was on drugs and they were on drugs from early, early on.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that's what contributed to the fact that your brother spun out of control slightly? I mean, slightly. I mean, they did spin out of control. Do you think your sister's disappearance contributed to that?
2: As far as Jeff, I believe So that and just... Would my dad, um, things my dad put him up to, um, just it, it's hard to explain. It's like Jeff would, Jeff had started telling me stories lately, um, over the last several years about my dad would have him go still this and still that, and you know, encourage him to go do these things. And tell him, you're not a man if you don't fight this person. And, you know, I I think maybe that was just a coping mechanism for Jeff. And Tim, um, Tim really didn't get a brunt of physical abuse that Jeff did.
1: Well, Jeff was the oldest. it went, Jeff? Yes.
2: Deborah. Deborah. And... Jeff. Tim, me, Mike.
1: But Debra was the oldest? Yes. Okay. Then Jeff.
2: Jeff was born in 59.
1: 59. And Jeff was the last one to see her alive.
2: Yes, According think- to according to Jeff. But then when I had talked to my brother Tim a week or so after the four of us met, Um, He said that he recalled seeing her walking across the street from the theater. That's when they all got out from the movies. But he's seen her walk across 6th Street with a friend that lived up on Olive.
1: Okay, wait a minute. That, okay. So, So. Did he just recently tell you that? Did Tim just
2: recently tell you that? He told me that a couple weeks after you and I. Met. Yeah.
1: Okay, so the story has always been that changing.
2: Jeff,
1: <laughs> yeah, that Jeff stuck his head out the door after she got kicked out. He stuck his head out the door. She said, "I'm going to go to I'm going to go to City Park. I'll be back before Dad picks us up." Is what Jeff says. Right. And your friend Kim says that your dad didn't even pick them up. That they all walked home together. And she remembers it very clearly. And we're going to talk, to, I'm going to talk to her next. Um, but you're saying that Tim, when he came out of the theater, after the movie was over, she had come back to the theater and had crossed the street?
2: I don't know. Actually, all the way back to the theater, he's seen her cross the street near the theater, heading up with her friend that lived on Olive.
1: And did he call to her and say, where are you going? We're supposed to go home?
2: Not that he said. And I, he probably wouldn't have because of her being older, and you know him at nine years old just being like carefree. He would have of thought offense.
1: about it just that they were walking home. And maybe right. Going a different direction home.
2: Right, because even if you cross Sixth Street, you just go up to Seventh Street, and they could have just been walking down towards the house.
1: Right, either direction would have taken them home. Right. But Jeff is absolutely certain that she went to City Park.
2: When she got kicked out of the theater, yes.
1: And Jeff never mentioned that she came back to the theater.
2: No. And he may not have even seen her. And Tim may not have even said anything.
1: Don't you think that would have come up, though, when they got home to your dad and she wasn't with them?
2: From what I understand, my dad went to... All kinds of people's houses.
1: But, I mean, if if she... If Tim had seen her crossing the street after the movie ended, which had to be closer to 10 o'clock, because she got kicked out before the movie started at 8.15. So the movie wouldn't have ended between, sometime between 9.30 and 10. And so if they were walking home and she went the other direction and they got home and your dad said, where the hell's your sister? Wouldn't Tim have it up and said, "I saw her cross the street"?
2: And he may have. I don't. That's something I don't know. He may have told my dad that. And like I said, they went out apparently to all of her friends' houses. Whether dad, that was one of them or not, I don't know.
1: Your dad, your cousin, and who else?
2: Right. Um, I don't know. It's probably even Tim's dad. Who knows?
1: Went looking for her.
2: Right. I don't know if Mr. Schmidt did, Tim's dad, but I do know that people from our house did.
1: It's so complicated because there's so much history that has gone on between then and now. Right. Memories are not great. But do you, your brothers seem, I mean, I can't speak for Tim because I haven't spoken to Tim, but for Jeff, it seems that information is flooding back that they haven't thought about for years. It is. And is it, the drug use is going to hinder the reality of the information coming back? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, for yes. me, it's very difficult for us to remember what happened 35 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it is now. Um.
2: It's going on 50 next year. 50,
1: I, know it's just gonna, I I can't do math. I can't. I can never do it in my head. Um, for any of us it would be difficult to remember something that happened 50 years ago but then when you involve drugs and then the type of drugs that they were doing because it was the 70s and they were probably doing psychedelics
2: Everything, yeah.
1: um, their memories can't be that great why do you think let's go back to the fact that your brother spun out of control so it's not just because of your sister disappearing and I talked about this in the first episode that um, it was a very abusive situation that you guys lived in. Like, I know that you, the siblings, were devoted to each other. I understand that. But the dynamics of your household.
2: It was horrible.
1: So, believing that your sister may have run away, not necessarily ran away because it obviously wasn't pre, pre like, she didn't decide in advance that she was going to run away, she didn't have any, anything with her. She wasn't planning to leave, and she had never run away. Right. Correct. Right. So, it is conceivable that she got some kind of offer that night where she wouldn't be able to go home. Correct. Or in into, I mean, I guess I'm wondering too. She was she was a, a smart girl, but she was also very promiscuous. She was not a stranger to boys. Basically.
2: Correct. So
1: for her to Go off with a boy and realize that it's gotten too late for her to get back to the theater, that she would be in trouble because she missed perfume. She wasn't with her brothers. Is it believable that she would have been afraid to go home because of your dad's reaction to it?
2: Possibly, yes.
1: So that's always been a consideration also. Yeah. And maybe that's what your mom believed for a long time.
2: And it could be. Um, it still doesn't explain why it was never discussed, never talked about. Um, and heck, even my neighbors in El Cerrito never knew. They lived right on the sides of us. Well, next door to Kim.
1: And your mom never mentioned to another living soul that her daughter went missing?
2: Nope, not to my knowledge, and neither did Jackie, Kim's mom. Our families didn't talk about it.
1: Maybe that's normal. It doesn't seem normal to me. Does it seem normal to you, having lived it? No. And why do you think that is?
2: Maybe talking about it made it real, even more real than it was already. How Does that make sense?
1: Well, yeah. How abusive would your dad have been if she missed curfew?
2: With her, I don't know. Cuz as far as as far as um Jeff, he didn't start that till after we moved to El Cerrito and as Jeff was getting older. He was oh. very abusive to my mom.
1: Even in Corona.
2: Yes, and all the other cities they lived in.
1: Okay, so your dad had a a, a history of abuse.
2: Very much so.
1: And we don't know how much abuse Debbie faced.
2: Right. Or if she did, if not, I don't know. We don't know. It seemed seemed as though that it was always focused between my mom and dad when I was young.
1: Until the boys got older. Right. So I guess. But it's not, I guess my point is it's not inconceivable that she would have been afraid to come home that night if she was late. Correct. But would she have let your brothers take the brunt of that? Like, she had to Mm -hmm. know that. She had to know that your mom or your brother or even your mom, that your mom would have suffered because she was missing. Do you know what I mean?
2: Right. Possibly and then possibly not. She's 12 years old. Um, she was doing what she was doing
0: um,
2: yes. and may not have thought twice about what anyone else was going to feel.
1: Right. You don't feel... Now, I know for a fact Mike and one of the police reports says that, and I don't remember if it was Tim or Mike or Jeff, um when one of the times that the detectives contacted them said, you didn't help us when it happened, why would you help us now kind of thing. Why do you think your family believes the police didn't look
2: for her? Well, of course, I didn't find this information out until speaking with you that they actually didn't. And then Jeff telling me also that they didn't
1: the only thing i can think of is that if there's nothing in the police file that shows the police talked to any of her friends but having said that that doesn't mean they didn't because if there's other people's names in there of the people they spoke to they might not have shared that information with me that might in right. the file so i can't say for a fact that the police didn't look he didn't tell me that he rejected anything but i kind of got the impression that the police either thought she ran away, it kind of got the impression the police felt it was her choice. And the police, you said before that your father was very well known to the police, correct?
2: Jeff said that.
1: that because he was older, he knew more. Right. And why do you think it is that they knew your family so well?
2: Um, for all I know, They may have been called out for domestic violence by neighbors. Because I know my mom wouldn't have done that.
1: Your mom would not have called the police on your dad?
2: No. She put up with it all those years. And I know he was always getting DUIs. His license suspended all the time. He did time in a um, road camp for it.
1: And he was belligerent. Like, he was completely anti-police anyways?
2: Mainly when he was drinking.
1: Yeah, you said... When he, he
2: was sober, he was the nicest guy.
1: So when he was drinking, he was not one to deal with? No. And how often... He could,
2: he he could be a happy guy, unless you say the wrong thing to him. And how often did he drink? Every day.
1: Okay. And another website talks extensively about there being other serial killers in the area during the time. I mean, right. not exactly during the time, but um, it's not difficult to imagine that them <coughs> and I'll find it in a second um, could have had something to do with it because he was in Riverside County. Um, what was his name?
2: William. I, I, William what?
1: William Seth was, um, he used to impersonate a police officer to earn a victim's trust and then get them to go with them. So, but he most of the time, when his victims were predominantly prostitutes. And he didn't live far from Corona in 1971. But I know that when I spoke to the detective, they did say they looked into serial killers at the time and there wasn't any connection to Corona at the time. But we were talking when we met. That across the street from the theater was a boarding house that had sort of a lower count clientele. I don't know how else to say that, where it would have been people spending the night and moving on.
2: Yeah, like um, day to day, week to week, things like that.
1: So they would have had. They could have easily have had someone in there that would have. Here's the thing: your sister didn't look like she was twelve. Exactly. So, walking down the street, a five six hundred and twenty five pound girl wouldn't have looked like a twelve year old she no. looked like she was maybe eighteen or even older.
2: Mm, right? I don't even know how she was dressed that night that she, may have been provocative no.
1: says that she was wearing a blouse and jeans. Okay. What shoes shoes she was wearing. But I guess your family dynamics is what, had your family dynamics not been the way that it was, I think I would be more inclined to think that she got involved somewhere with someone and walked, you know what I mean, walked into something that she shouldn't have. But because of your family dynamics, I think it's also possible that she got an offer that night that she couldn't refuse.
2: Well, and remembering back to the fact that she was apparently dating the leader of a gang well-known in Corona. Yeah,
1: but I told you that gang was, the gang that your brother told me about wasn't really a gang. The one that your brother actually mentioned that told me the name of it. It was more Oh, like, you didn't tell me. Oh, I'm sorry. It was more of a. It was a more of a, a, like a power group, a group that promoted, um, good grades and furthering their culture, as opposed to like a street gang.
2: Well, in the meantime, they're Mexican and she was white.
1: And that probably wouldn't have gone over well. <laughs> Back in 1970s, that might not have gone over well. I right. Mean, it's also. It's so curious, too, is that we can't find out if she walked to the park with a group of friends or if she walked to the park by herself because we've heard both stories. Jeff saw her with a group of kids. Yeah. They all got kicked out. She wasn't the only one kicked out that night. And the frustrating thing is that someone is still alive that knows what happened that night.
2: They exactly.
1: know exactly. The they know whether she walked to the movie theater, I mean, to the park by herself. They know whether she came back to the park. Someone out there has far more information than your family's ever gotten. The thing is, is I don't understand why your family never got that information. Unless they did and just didn't talk about it. Which, would have all of this healed your brothers? Would their roads have been different? Would your dad yes. different?
2: I As far as my dad, I don't know. He was on that path for years. But as far as my brother's, that would have helped them tremendously um, for the fact that we were we would be a unit again if she came back, or the fact that at least we knew something and had avenues to chase and
1: Jeff in particular carries a lot of the guilt, yes, because he believes he's the last person to see her alive. Yes. And he has that guilt because he feels like maybe he should have left with her.
2: That and tried harder to convince her not to leave because he didn't like the friends that she was with.
1: Okay, he's never said that. He didn't like the girls that she was hanging out with?
2: No, he didn't trust them.
1: And he never went back and talked to them again, like, where's my sister?
2: According to what he said, one, the one that approached him at school was one of them that was with her that night. Oh, and he- that's why he feels so much guilt also, that he brushed her off instead of talking to her.
1: It's clear that you have a lot of love for your brothers.
2: I do. hasn't always been easy, but I do.
1: And I want to give you a chance. I mentioned in the last episode, I told you that I think that if there's a chance that Deborah's listening, and this was just my opinion, and thank you for trusting me, but I think that us being brutally honest, if she were to hear this, I think that it would be more likely that she would reach out to you if we're being brutally honest about your life and your family and the dynamics and what's happened to your brothers. If we sugarcoated it and she knew the truth, then she might not be as willing to reach out. So, right. Like I told you I was going to, I was going to mention that one of your brothers is incarcerated. And I didn't say why he was incarcerated, but like I told you, any one of my listeners would be able to look that up. Right. Um, I want to give you the chance to to explain your brother and defend your brother. Right now? <laughs> the one, him, I mean, the, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: you, the person that he was. And I. yes, he's in prison, but that's not who he is. And I want to give you a chance to defend him a little bit, because people are going to look it up, like I told you on the phone, people are going to look that up, and I want to give you the chance to defend your brothers, and Tim in particular.
2: Tim was always a quiet, easygoing guy. I never saw a temper on him. Um, he told me he started drugs probably 11 years old.
1: Oh, God.
2: And never looked back. Everyone was doing them and that was his escape. And And he did them up until he got incarcerated.
1: And that partially what led to him being incarcerated?
2: Yes, that played a role in it because the man he was working for was also supplying him with drugs rather than paying him for work that he did because he had hired him Tim worked for him for years, and uh, remodeled interior of the houses for the guy and most time the guy wouldn't pay him or he'd pay him with drugs and I guess just one night he they got into it and he'd had enough and excuse me they started going at it in the driveway because Tim lived in a trailer on the guy's property. And they um, started going at it in the driveway and Tim snapped after all that time. And he called the police and turned himself in.
1: And he's in jail for... um murder for murder for that for that incident
2: yeah
1: him was never violent before that
2: no and even at one there was one time when my dad was yelling at me and he was sitting at the table drunk and he got mad at me because i hooked holes with a pin and a cigarette and Tim came out of his room and was defending me, and my dad went after Tim and stabbed him in the lung. And dying, well, not dying, but laying in the hospital, he he wouldn't press charges on my dad. Um, and
1: Wait, he was in the hospital because of what your dad did to him?
2: Yes, my dad stabbed him and punctured his lung.
1: Oh, my gosh. I don't know, and I've said this before, that there were so many times during our conversations that I felt that maybe I'm not qualified to tell your story just because the level of abuse in your household, it's sort of, it's unimaginable to just, to to the normal person. Right. Live the way that you did. And there are
2: so many families that live worse than that, you no, know.
1: No, 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 I know. I, I absolutely know.
2: But yeah, unless I, you live it, you, it, it's hard to understand.
1: And I, and I apologize profusely if I've ever said anything wrong. No. Because no I, feel, I feel like sometimes I'm not qualified to have the appropriate response. I, well, I don't
2: think therapists would be either. <laughs> I don't know. I
1: almost started crying when you said that your dad stabbed stabbed him in the lungs. But that's the man that's supposed to protect you and take care of you. And it's right. unfathomable that he would attack. And this was all because of you? Because you were playing with a cigarette?
2: Yes. And my dad was getting loud and belligerent yelling at me, and Tim came out to tell him to knock it off. And that's what happened.
1: He ended up in the hospital. Yep. And refused. And this is the one thing about Jeff, too, is that, I mean, Jeff is clearly damaged. He's damaged because of this. And I don't know, I didn't mention in the last episode, but maybe you can, what happened after he met with us. And you're welcome to say you don't want to talk about it. That's fine, too but I think it, it it sort of portrays how much this has affected your brothers.
2: I can say it affected him tremendously, reliving things and remembering things and to the yeah. point where he backslid a bit. Because oh, I was then.
1: that dramatic. And I should say that, I should explain that we actually met at the theater where she went missing.
2: Yeah. Went from that the theater.
1: Went, yeah. I mean, just to just to to make it fit the pieces. Yeah, that that this had to be very traumatic for Jeff. We actually went and stood right in front of the theater where he last saw her, and then we went to City Park where she was supposedly had been, and then we let Jeff lead us to an empty lot where he always felt there was some kind of connection. And then we left there and went to your house, where all yep. of this happened. So, it's not inconceivable that that would have been a very hard day for Jeff. And I don't think that he was prepared for it.
2: I don't I, think he was.
1: No, and to be quite frank, I don't think I was. <laughs> I don't think I was prepared for the aftermath of it, of how hard he took it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. My con- my subsequent conversations with him, I don't think that I was prepared for him not being prepared. If that makes sense, and I I feel bad. I don't want to think of your family as my guinea pig, but I learned a lot from that of knowing of at least confirming that someone's prepared. Because when you called me and said, "Oh, Jeff's going to go to you," I was like, "Okay." I didn't I didn't think of the consequences of what that would be like for him.
2: Well, I don't think he really did either. Um, Julie did his wife because yeah. she said had she known she wouldn't have let him go had oh. she known what he was going to go do she wouldn't have let him go because she knew being with him for 35 years
1: how much that was going to affect him yeah and it affected him I don't know that I don't know that we're conveying it to the extreme that it affected him, but it affected him to to the fullest extreme. Yes. In any way possible that you could think of it, but he's doing better now.
2: Yes. Not all the way there, but better.
1: But he is doing better.
2: Yes. Because I know asked... he doesn't he doesn't call me as often anymore, like he did before we met.
1: You don't think he's this has done anything any kind of damage to your relationship, do you?
2: No, not at all. I mean, when we talk, we're good.
1: But maybe he needed a break.
2: I think so. And then he was dealing with his doctors and stuff again. Good. His heart That's doctor good. and stuff.
1: That's good. Because he has a lot of health issues, too, on top of all this. Yeah. Okay. If you, do you have anything else you want to share?
2: I just hope anyone out there listening, if you know anything, please speak up. Deborah, if you're out there, please contact me. I, I was only six, but I've missed you all these years. I would love to I would love to meet her or just hear something
1: I hope it happens
0: a 12 year old child did not disappear in the thin air almost 50 years ago if you or if you suspect that someone you know may know something about the disappearance of Deborah Pazolka please contact the Corona Police Department at 951-736-2334 you can also find more information on Deborah at the Charlie Project backslash Deborah Pajolka, or on the Doe Network, again, the Doe Network backslash Deborah Pajolka. And as always, we'll have her age progression and her photos on our episode webpage at hauntinghistorypodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.